Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the Data Binge podcast. So excited for today's episode number five, Why the Crypto Craze? The Real Business Cases for Blockchain. I'm your host, Derek Russell. I'm currently a solution specialist for data and AI at Microsoft and get to meet so many different folks in various technology roles every day. And today, you're all in for a super special treat from steel degradation to crypto zombies eating crypto kitties to editing Nicolas Cage's face in every scene of the Titanic, we're dissecting the blockchain technology conversation right down into the use cases and business values we're seeing now and on the horizon. And today we have Kevin LeFew on the show. Kevin is a public sector blockchain subject matter expert at Microsoft, and he works closely with the blockchain engineering group strategizing on blockchain ecosystems. So you're all really going to love Kevin. We've worked together on some really cool projects. I was super impressed with his vigor and passion for the technology. And you'll see why throughout the talk today, blockchain has often been said to be just as transformative to our society as the worldwide adoption of the internet. So pretty crazy. A lot of really fascinating content today. Thank you so much for listening. And I bring you Kevin LaFew. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Welcome to the Data Binge podcast today. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to chat about blockchain and the business value and all the different use cases. Yeah, super excited. Uh, the first time that I met you or was introduced to you was when a customer was looking for a rock star uh, blockchain specialist. And your name came up. And we got a hold of you and you came on a call and did a presentation and you, you blew the entire team away. Awesome. Love to hear it. Yeah, it went super well. So, hey, tell us about yourself, uh, what you're doing today at Microsoft. I know you have some things going on um, on the side in terms of community, blockchain community events and, and case challenges and a lot of exciting stuff. So, yeah, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Yeah, I'll start off with how I got into blockchain. Uh, so, I originally founded a fintech club, financial technology club at Wake Forest University. And I was really interested in areas like mobile payment. I kind of saw right what was happening with mobile kind of acting as a vortex and sucking in all areas of software. Um, and basically, right, I kind of made the assumption that that would eventually happen with everything in our wallet. So things like our credit cards and our ID cards would eventually get sucked into mobile. And I was interested in how that might happen or how that might get enabled. Uh, and so that really brought me to found the, the FinTech Club at Wake Forest University. And as I began to do research, I stumbled upon cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, right? That was kind of everyone's early introduction to the blockchain space. I saw the potential for disintermediation of third parties in the mobile payment space. So traditionally in the mobile payment stack, we have all kinds of third parties. We have credit card providers uh, that are taking interchange fees, um, as well as providing risks like chargeback fees. Um, And I saw the potential of them to get disintermediated as well as third party participants like uh, that are really just data providers. So think like Apple Pay, right? And I saw this potential for direct person-to-person uh, right, payments. And from there, my interest in blockchain kind of flourished. Uh, and that's really how I initially got into the space. Uh, at Wake Forest, I uh, really started uh, this club by leading things like PGP encryption workshops to kind of understand what is encryption, what is cryptography, and how is it applied in business settings and in a way that creates value for end users. Uh, so we started doing stuff like that we uh, launched our own ERC-20 token back before anyone knew what an ERC-20 token was called Waitcoin. The idea there being, uh, right, how might we gamify our club and gamify participation in our club so if people come to meetings, maybe they receive a token. We didn't end up actually going past the token on that framework, but 
it was an interesting experiment and I was really happy to right, kind of, you know, get building. So for, um, the, for the layman that are listening, what, what's the ECR20? Yeah. So the ERC20 token, uh, the ERC20 is actually a, a standard for smart contracts on Ethereum uh, that create uh, fungible tokens, meaning like, right, you basically have some kind of uh, right token. You could think of like a SAML token or anything like that, right, that we use for authentication, something that can be passed peer to peer and held um, that right, represents some kind of an asset. So in this case, right, they're all fungible. So one weight coin is no different than any other weight coin, right? Right, And so it's really just a smart contract built on the Ethereum blockchain. Got it. Got it. So, so you, it looks like you had some, some heavy interest in, in the financial uh, implications of what blockchain can do, specifically around cryptocurrency. And mm-hmm. just apparently, according to your Medium profile, you're crypto crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so this yeah, is... Part of my profile. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so killer. So you're, and you're pretty young. You just graduated from school, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm 23. Uh, graduated wow. from school last May and I'm in the, the mock program at Microsoft, the Microsoft after college hire program. Fantastic. Uh, so you're like the, you're like the Doogie Hauser uh, of cryptocurrency. That's probably before your time, right? I'll take that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. Okay. So I'm actually also on the uh, the mock program as an MBA uh, postgraduate. Love the mock program. It's a, it's a great program for from uh, getting some really great talent out of uh, top universities at Microsoft. So so where are we at today? What does blockchain mean to you? You know what is what's the true power of the distributed ledger? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So right as we kind of go past the cryptocurrency use case, we find that blockchain has much wider use case and much wider potential for disruption and for disintermediation kind of in the, the wider technology space. So at Microsoft, we like to define blockchain with a couple characteristics. Uh, we define blockchain as a secure, shared, distributed ledger. Uh, it's, it's secure because it can only, right, it uses things like cryptography, so hashing algorithms, Merkle proofs, and digital signatures uh, to create transactions that are basically impervious to fraud and establish a shared truth amongst all the participants. Uh, and we can go into that later, what that means. Uh, Right? It can only be written or appended to, like that's why it's called a ledger. Uh, so in traditional accounting, uh, right, if there's a correcting entry, we have to add it on top. We can't take an eraser and erase something. Uh, blockchain is a data structure that's similar to that. It can only be appended to, it can only be added to. Um, and then again, right, it's, it's ownerless or it's shared. So it creates this shared layer of truth that becomes the foundation for all kinds of agreements amongst parties. So whether that represents a digital asset, like Right, some kind of maybe a character in a video game or a physical asset like some right salmon that is being passed from right fishermen to eventually the grocery store and, and all this you know stops between there. Uh, blockchain enables kind of this shared truth layer and brings about this paradigm of digital scarcity. Uh, and so that's you know kind of a mouthful, but right, does that kind of get the point across? Yeah, definitely. So it. And in some of my research with, with looking into blockchain, it sounds like the four typical things that would make it obvious for a business to start incorporating blockchain into their use cases, it would be, like you said, uh, well, you, you definitely have to have multiple parties. Um, you have to have one version of the truth. And it, there seems to be some, has to be some kind of opportunity for trust boundaries, and then some kind of manual verification or uh, some layer that is that is just creating a lot of noise and a lot of uh, problems for people to to verify that trust. Right. So we right, there's kind of the opportunity for people to agree on one database, um, but then there's one key holder. There's one person with root access to that SQL database, 
and that creates security holes. It creates issues with trust, right? I might not trust the large company, but I might trust everyone to have that same copy of that database. And so that's really that the new paradigm that blockchain opens up. Got it. Got it. So in the in the in the most preliminary phases, I've heard a lot about blockchain not being friendly to enterprise. And then in trying to figure out why that is, there was like you know I I started uncovering like this this foundational layer, the cocoa layer, and then there was this this uh, this middle this middleware, and then on top of the middleware, the SaaS applications sat on top of that. Um, so as some of our business customers approach us and say, "Hey, Microsoft." We want to use blockchain, and I've heard that IBM is actually doing that quite a bit. But and we're coaching our customers: look, you know, blockchain is not a hammer trying to find a nail. How do you start co- coaching customers who are asking questions in the in the first phase about about blockchain? Yeah, so the first phase is always educational, right? And so we always like to start out with uh, a real proof of concept that uh, really embodies business value. So whether that's value by cutting costs or creating opportunities for new revenue. That's always kind of the first principle that we like to move off of when it comes to looking at blockchain. Uh, as we know, it's kind of it's a it's a new technology that will eventually have an impact on all different kinds of industries, and so the potential for different use cases is wide. And we can go into kind of industry specific use cases in a second. Um, but as a first principle, we we look for real business value, so the opportunity to cut costs and the opportunity to create new revenue. Fantastic. And one of the customers that we're working with together. And a really great customer of Microsoft. They're doing a lot of awesome strategic partnerships with us. Um, they're in the engineering uh, engineering space, and they are approaching this blockchain use case for one of their customers by wanting to first get a, a validation study with us. So putting together scope, looking at the, at the technology, the implications of the technologies. Is this, is this a first st- a good first step? As you, as a business, tries to move into this technology space, yeah, I'd say definitely. I've worked with a lot of different customers, and the first step is always ideation. Before we start to build, we have to kind of prove out the business value first. Great, great. So let's so let's talk about. So let's say you know, I'm I'm PepsiCo, and I'm interested in Microsoft or any other tech, uh, cloud hoster or technology provider in blockchain. What am I? What am I interested in? What should I be interested in, from your point of view? Yeah. So again, uh, the first question is: Is there an opportunity to create a shared truth layer with other parties that you might be interacting with? So in the case of PepsiCo, right, we know that PepsiCo doesn't control the entire supply chain vertical, and so we'd look at possibilities for integration uh, to form a shared truth layer where we don't need to all commit to one database or one ERP system. Uh, but we then still have that same data layer that we can pull from and establish uh, a shared truth or a shared record of how goods moved and how they were processed and changed kind of across the supply chain. So I think Pepsi would be a good example of the supply chain use case for blockchain. Great. And then if we're looking at financial uh, financial use cases like smart contracts and things like that, um, you know, if you're like a credit union and a credit union approaches us and says, hey, we want to take a look take a look at your smart contracts. And your distributed ledgers, as it as it applies to that, what, usually that's those are things that are discussed amongst shareholders in, in a boardroom. They're like, "Hey, let's do blockchain. Let's let's look at smart contracts." But then, you know, what are the implications there? What are the kind of use cases that we're looking at? Yeah. So again, I think the first question, or the kind of the first the first step in this process, would be to understand what is a smart contract and what does it enable, right? So really, all a smart contract is is 
conditionally executable code that it runs on every single uh, node that's participating in the network, so every participant. Uh, so we could think of a scenario where we might want to create some kind of financial derivative and say, if it's a Wednesday and the LIBOR interest rate is X, then execute Y code. Uh, that would be an example of a smart contract that would maybe make sense within the context of finance. We also see a lot of opportunities around tokenization uh, of security, of securities, right? The security assets. So right by following like regulatory compliant frameworks like Reg D in the United States, uh, it, we open up new opportunities for distributive ownership of traditionally liquid assets like real estate um, is one example, or maybe early stage startups in the venture capital space. So there are all kinds of use cases, but when it comes down to it, a smart contract is is code that right once the conditions are met, it, it's executed and it's recorded and it's like a fly getting buried in amber. Where once it gets buried in amber over time and it gets buried in that work, uh, it's you can't go back and change it. And so that's kind of the value of smart contracts. Got it. Got it. So, in terms of real, real re- revenue generating opportunities and cost generating opportunities. What, is that, what does that look like in this space? I'm trying to think to myself, you know, we have so many different customers we talk to every single day and they're in different verticals, different segments, different people, different roles. And you know, we're, we're, we're obviously a leader in, in, in artificial intelligence and machine learning and predictive analytics and things like that. This is a completely different segment in that area. Um, how does this technology integrate with artificial intelligence and what we're doing in that space? And how do business leaders need to be thinking about this from a strategic point of view, from a strategic business point of view, about how they're going to integrate this into their digital strategy? Yeah, sure thing. So the kind of the relationship between blockchain and artificial intelligence is definitely interesting. It's an area where at first it, it doesn't make sense. And then when you kind of get into it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so right as, as, uh, Artificial intelligence and machine learning APIs become democratized. More developers have access to it. You start to see kind of weird things where you can, say, put Nick Cage in every single movie from Lord of the Rings to the Titanic. Um, and so basically, right, hobbyists with access to these public data sets can use machine learning and vision to basically create conv- convincing depictions of right, false history. Uh, and so what the blockchain allows in that scenario is an authoritative proof of saying this is the authoritative, you know, uh, file, right? So it allows people to do that without the need for a certificate authority, like a DocuSign. Um, we can imagine, right, when this gets extended to politics, right, I work primarily in the government sector, right, so state and local governments, right, the value of having like, a time-stamped authoritative proof of some kind of digital file is, is very important, right? Because it's going to be increasingly easy to, you know, edit, uh, right, speeches and, and everything like along those lines. And so having, right, uh, content permanence and in, in a proof that, this file has not changed since this point in time. And it's attested to by right, this, this government agency or right, whoever might be attesting to it. It could be any kind of a content creator, right? So it could be uh, a movie publisher or someone making music or even someone creating something as simple as memes, right? They may want to have a, a proof they can point to that this is the authoritative copy. This is when I created it and I was the first to create it. So really it creates this, this new paradigm for digital copyright in that sense. So I I love where where you just went there right now. So in one of in one of the presentations I I heard you give to our customer, you mentioned you know uh, uh, provenance and materials provenance. If if you're a builder, an international builder, and you're getting steel from Indonesia or China, you want to know uh, what the degradation of that steel has been, or or soup to nuts where that steel has has come from. 
um, how, how performant the steel is based upon regulations and standards. But now you're also kind of using that same context and you're talking about content uh, permanence, which is insane right now. Um, how do you think this could have helped Zuckerberg? In his yes. testimony? <laughs> so again, right, blockchain is all about creating these proofs or pointing to these proofs, right? Uh, so in terms of the Zuckerberg testimony, it's a really interesting question. I think blockchain is going to really change the way we perceive uh, digital identity and digital ownership. Uh, and, and so in that sense, right, we might move past a system where, uh, you know, a social media network, uh, you know, owns our data to a system where as a user, we own our data by first principle. And this concept is called decentralized identity. It's a space that Microsoft is actively involved in uh, through wider standard bodies like uh, the W3C Worldwide Consortium, uh, as well as the Decentralized Identity Foundation. Uh, and, and we're participating with, uh, you know, firms across the industry from startups like Blockstack, uh, Uport, and Civil to kind of larger firms like IBM to make sure we don't create a silo for identity. And we can create a new paradigm on the internet where users own the keys to their own identity, and they can also own their own data attestations and point to them off-chain through a, a standardized framework that's called the Identity Hub. Wow. So... And I, I think I just saw, I was on the news the other day, I think Brad Smith from Microsoft, he yeah, was one of the executives here, mentioned that th we're forming a new cohort of like 30 different big tech companies about privacy and, and how to protect people's data and things like that. How, how important do you think blockchain is to this movement? And on a, on a larger scale, you know, some, some practitioners in the space, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're quickly becoming a practitioner here, are saying that, you know, blockchain technologies is like the, what the internet would have been to us in 1991. Yeah, I think that's, a, it's an analogy that we hear, you know, time and time again. I think it's actually an inaccurate analogy. I think, again, we're still early days when it comes to blockchain. Uh, we're still standardizing certain practices and certain approaches. And right now, again, it's, it's a lot of ideation. Uh, but what's awesome is, we're, we're really starting to build now too, and we're starting to build out kind of past the ideation to building out real products that provide real business value for our customers and also for end users, for, you know, general consumers. So what, what, what kind of talent are we looking at uh, in terms of, of people who, who work on this, Kevin? Um, you know, who like it, it was, it was rather, it wasn't difficult to get a hold of you because, you know, there's only so many people that can, we can go to, so many practitioners we can go to in the space since it's still, still small. But who has knowledge in this area? You know, we know that there's other, other big um, operations out there that are good. Um, but mm. how are we relying, just in general, when you're talk, talking about businesses, how are businesses relying on practitioners in the space um, to mobilize here? Um, like, how do you know if, 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 a, if a partner or a consultant is good enough to do this? Um, how do you know if someone is smart enough in the space to actually be um, uh, very, uh, very powerful for us? Yes, yeah, so I think there's definitely a shortage of developers who are dedicated to smart contracts and, and uh, new programming languages like Solidity and Viper in writing those smart contracts. And I think over time, as the demand for these developers increase, we'll see an increase in talent. Uh, at Microsoft, we actually have a whole division internally devoted to blockchain and blockchain engineering. And so in, in, that, in that space, we have a bunch of different solution areas uh, from basic resource templates that can be deployed on Azure that enable developers to work against blockchain frameworks like Ethereum, Hyperledger Fabric, R3 Corda. And we also have more platform offerings that make it easier to develop uh, blockchain applications and, and go from 
right, ideation to deploying an app. Uh, so, right, for example, we have uh, our app builder framework, which allows developers to focus on the logic, the business logic of the smart contract. And then we automate the generation of the blockchain network itself. We create a baseline UI user interface, uh, a web user interface, as well as a mobile interface using Xamarin to resolve to both iOS and Android. And we handle all the things like off-chain storage, off-chain compute, and all the other things that are necessary, but you know, difficult to configure kind of when it comes to developing blockchain applications. And so really what we found in with working with some of our partners is that really building a proof of concept was a process that could take upwards of eight to 12 weeks and $400,000 or more in costs to build these applications. So we wanted to reduce the time and the cost to get to a minimal viable product or a proof of concept. I see. We've all, yep. Go ahead. Yeah, and so that's just one solution area that we're focused on. We have solution areas that are focused on uh, scaling through our Cocoa framework, our confidential consortium framework, which leverages at the hardware layer, trusted execution environments or secure enclaves like Intel SGX uh, to enable parties to have proof that something has been computed without knowing what has been computed. Uh, and so that's a really valuable framework that's going to be open source some point in 2018. And we're also working on frameworks around Oracle data, uh, not the company Oracle, but Oracle in the context of blockchain means any data that resides outside of the blockchain. So when writing a smart contract, going back to that LIBOR interest rate, the question is, well, how do we ingest that LIBOR interest rate in a way that's secure? Uh, and, and we actually are building a framework out for that called the Enterprise Smart Contract Framework. It's also open source on GitHub uh, and the technical white paper is, is you know, open to the public. And so that's another kind of awesome area to check out that we're working on. Wow. Okay. So you, you very, very, very quickly explained the COCO framework and what, and what that means, which it, it took me a while to understand and, and a lot of slides and I, I still was only 30% there. And uh, so now that makes a lot of sense for me. From a cybersecurity point of view, what what should what should companies be scared of? And I guess by using this 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 uh, technology, and everyone you know, a lot of the cu- the customers we talk to are using the cloud already. In and they're either they either have a cloud strategy or they're already integrating into the cloud. And that was tough a, a tough cultural move because helping a business become more data centric is it definitely is culture. It's leadership and the people who are actually doing the work at the bottom. Now we're talking about this new technology. So when customers are like, well, is this thing secure? Like, I don't, I, it, I don't know. Like this doesn't sound secure to me or like, you know, I don't even understand this technology. How do I even digest this? There's that conversation. And then there's the conversation of, Hey, this is great. How can we use this to protect ourselves? Yeah, sure thing. It's a great question, right? And generally what I've found, right, uh, when working kind of in the public sector, specifically with state and local governments, is that security is at a premium. Uh, and so I, I specifically look at use cases where blockchain can increase the level of security uh, that government agencies have when it comes to their data. Uh, and so generally, right, the way that that gets applied kind of in the real world is, again, right, blockchain doesn't replace a database. It's kind of a specific purpose data structure that we talked about earlier that can only be appended to and cannot be changed. And so from, and it's also really inefficient, right? And, and somewhat, right, costly to, to secure that data. So we don't want to store a lot of data on it. Uh, so from a security standpoint, what we end up doing is we end up taking databases or kind of crucial files and storing those file hashes. So running them through a hashing algorithm, which just uh, creates an output that's a small chunk of data. It's a unique identifier. 
and storing that on the blockchain. And again, what that enables is a proof that this file has not changed since this point in time. And in the public sector, right, there's a lot of value around uh, creating proofs that nothing has been tampered with when it comes to registries like land registries, uh, right, vehicle registries, uh, birth certificate registries, or even things like court orders, right? We might want to verify the authenticity of a court order before uh, we move forward with it to make sure, right, we're not being scammed. It's you know coming from an agency, and so there are a lot of opportunities there uh, with kind of the opportunity for future public verifiability, right? So, right, uh, the United States in the United States we're extremely lucky to have right trustworthy institutions, but in other countries there are issues around right. How do we trust the land registry to not go in and change? right, uh, this property by the lake to move to, right, the land registry's cousin or something, right, of, of that sort of a scenario. Uh, and so it's really important that we create these proofs that the public can then point to and have verification that, right, this is the authentic source of truth and hasn't been tampered with either by an internal malicious employee or an external hacker, uh, like a foreign nation state or something like that. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like the different use cases that we can talk about are, are super broad. Um, and it, it sounds like you're going way deeper than just supply chain, which is uh, maybe it sounds like a lot, a lot of the use cases you get approached with. Um, but we also talked in, before that we started the show about some of the things that you could possibly do here. With, so you mentioned gaming. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like gaming. I, think I, saw, I saw the excitement in your eye when you brought that up. So can you tell us a little bit more about what is on the horizon um, for for things like gaming, maybe VR, um, uh, you know, integrated experiences, and then where you think the technology is going in the next eighteen months is are we are we still going to be in the swamp or are we going to be in the in the clouds? Yeah, sure thing. So I'll start with the gaming use case. Uh, so again, fundamentally, blockchain technology is an innovation that primarily enables two things. First, it enables digital scarcity, uh, meaning that I have a unique identifier for a digital asset that can either be tied to a physical asset or it can be represented through some kind of a user interface. But kind of the key thing there is that it can't be forged or replicated, uh, right? So I can't say, take this string of bits and copy and paste it and right, create another instance of that uh, digital asset. Uh, it also creates a uh, framework for identity and, and ownership and provenance. And, and so from a gaming perspective, I'm really interested in this area of non-fungible tokens, uh, which would be the in Ethereum, the ERC-721 standard, that enables true digital scarcity of digital goods. Um, and that again, right, at, at kind of a, uh, at a real level, what that means is we could imagine, um, right, in-game items that there's true scarcity of. So we can have some kind of assurance that, right, this piece of armor is not gonna be, right, uh, debased or denigrated because the game creator decided to create more of it in some kind of an online gaming type scenario. Um, we have certainty that, right, these digital assets are scarce. And so we see kind of that in the early stage through applications like CryptoKitties, um, which gets a lot of slack, but it's actually a really interesting application of blockchain technology in, in really creating this, this context of digital scarcity. Uh, and again, this is all open, so I could then use my CryptoKitty in another application uh, and build on top of it. And so there's a good example online with crypto zombies that then can eat CryptoKitties and uh, create CryptoKitty zombies. And, if, and you have to own the crypto key to enable that. That was never part of kind of the initial plan. And so you get all kinds of really interesting gaming opportunities that kind of emerge from this open source uh, and, and, you know, kind of uh, uh, paradigm that blockchain enables. So it, so it sounds like going from the degradation of steel to crypto zombies 
uh, <laughs> eating these eating these these kitties. Um, there's a lot going on here, um, and it sounds like it all goes back to having the one source of or one version of truth, mm-hmm. which is which is just so interesting because that's exactly what cryptocurrency is, right? It's 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 a commodity that's just purely dependent upon everyone knowing how much everyone else wants it. Yeah, and so again, right? These right there, there's kind of this concept of right colored coins, which is kind of the initial formulation of non-fungible tokens, where you take the unspent transaction output on the Bitcoin blockchain and apply some metadata, and then you can, you know, have that represent or be resolved to some kind of right other type of token that might not be Bitcoin, right? Because it, it's wrapped in this metadata, and so that could be um, right like a specific type of token, or it could be used in, in a video game represent something like armor or it could be used to represent an avatar um and so right a lot of really interesting opportunities that open up around this paradigm and again i think we're only scratching the surface here of of what's going to happen in terms of gamification um in in kind of the video game space incredible kevin incredible so what do you so what's next for you you know you're you know i go back to that that analogy doogie hauser (laughs) which I, i might have to explain that in the show notes um but what what are what's on the horizon for you? What do you you said that you mentioned you want to get uh, way deeper in the gaming in the gaming segment and and of course you can do that here because um, that's that's one of our our our, our massive businesses. Um, but what else would you love to to apply this to? You know, I've had guests come on here and talk about climate change. I've had folks talk about you know solving you know everything from world hunger to you know, to other very interesting wicked problems. Uh, what's what gets what would get you out of bed every morning? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, and so, in the next 24 months, I'm going to really dedicate myself to uh, right contributing to open source communities. I recently contributed to Andreas Anastopoulos's Mastering Ethereum book, which is kind of a comprehensive guide to how Ethereum works. So, I want to kind of build and continue to build my developer skill set. Um, and you know, within the context of thinking like, how can we apply this uh, to really create value in the world? Uh, and so. The question of what really drives me, I'm really interested in blockchain uh, enabling a new paradigm of digital ownership. Uh, and so removing this scenario where um, right, social media sites own all of the data about you and kind of flipping that model on its head. So now as a user, I own my data as a first principle and I can selectively give it out and maybe right, be uh, you know, monetized for giving that data out. Um, but as a first principle, owning that data and having it belong to me, I think, is something that's really important, um, kind of from a, a wider societal perspective. Fantastic, fantastic, Kevin. Well, I would, I would love to have you back on and talk a little bit more today. We just, with very broad brush, uh, uh, covered a, a lot of topics. Um, it sounds like the power you can bring on a simple call uh, to speed is is pretty profound. Um, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you or follow you um, if they yeah. want to learn more about what you're doing? Well, they can email me directly at kevin.lefew at microsoft.com. They could follow me on Twitter. Uh, they could see what I've written on Medium or what I've done from kind of an engineering perspective on GitHub, uh, right? So that's the beauty of the internet. All, all, everything I'm working on, not everything, but a lot of it's uh, you know, in the public eye. And so uh, feel free to uh, you know, reach out to me and contact uh, me and, and uh, you know, we can go from there. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm going to grab all the information from you uh, after the show and I'll put it in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think you have a super, super bright future and I really, really look forward to working with you more. 
Hey, thanks again, Derek. It was uh, great getting on your show here and I'm really excited for the future. Awesome, Kevin. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks again. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram and reach out anytime to connect and talk about how businesses should be becoming more data-driven. The Data Binge Podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thank you.